guys this morning. Thanks for bringing the church into this building. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Jamie, one of the pastor elders of our church. Guy gets to preach most Sundays, um, and I'm excited about this morning. This time of year, doesn't this place look amazing? Um, my, my wife and a team of, of elves that she headed up came in here yesterday and put all this together, and I'll be honest with you, that lamppost is going to draw some Narnian references over the next uh, five gatherings. I am certain of it. Um, man, what a great time of year. Uh, for those unfamiliar with the season of, of Advent, if you're coming in this morning, and maybe that's even a, a new word to you, uh, we're, we're talking about a season celebrated by the church dating all the way back to the 4th century. We've been doing this thing for about 1,700 years now. The word Advent derived from the Latin word Adventus, uh, which means coming or arrival. It's a season that's meant to focus our attention on the coming of Jesus into the world, the glad-hearted celebration of his first coming, and the hopeful anticipation of a second coming. In the midst of, of all the busyness, purchasing of gifts, the upholding of traditions, got to get through the movie list. Some of you have particular days leading up to Christmas that those movies must be watched on. Time is short, season's sweet, and yet we have a real opportunity over the course of the next few weeks to experience a fresh outpouring of God's Spirit, I believe. That's the hope of Advent, the living God breaking in and breaking through. The hope is that, and I'm going to pray this over us in, in just a few minutes, that our hearts would be awakened to the beauty and wonder of who God is, what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do for us in Jesus Christ, awaking our hearts to the, the wonder of Christmas yet again, helping us to see beyond all the tinsel, all the wrapping and celebration of the greatest gift that we've ever been given, namely the gift of God himself, a God who, if you think about it, uh, in terms of the Christmas story, who's not removed from the story he's authoring, but rather became a character in that very story condescending, Emmanuel, God with us, a God so filled for love, uh, with love for his people that he would clothe himself in a killable body that he might ransom lost sinners by his blood. A God who frees the captives, scripture tells us. A God who gathers the outcasts. A God who pardons the sinner. A God who heals the hurting. A God who, as we sing every year, rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness, the wonders of his love. A God who fulfills our every longing in Jesus Christ. If you have a Bible, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to open up to Jeremiah chapter 23. Uh, we're going to be there this morning, the first eight verses. You heard one or two of those verses read just a moment ago during the lighting of the Advent candle. If you don't have a Bible, uh, this morning's passage will be up on the screen behind me. You can track uh, in that particular way if that's helpful to you. Let me go ahead and pray for us so that we can dive into the Advent season together with God's word in front of us. Heavenly Father, we praise you that in your decreed will, you determined that you would send your son into the world, that you might rescue lost sinners to yourself. This time of year, we look back on a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger and we're reminded that you stooped down, Jesus. You entered into our broken, fallen world, as I say oftentimes, the slums of human history to bring us hope where there was no hope otherwise. Holy Spirit, we ask you this morning to stir our hearts. I pray that we would leave this place 
with, with a, a feeling sense of tension, that we would walk away full of joy, overwhelmed at all that has been accomplished in the first coming of Christ, but that we would also walk away with a deep longing for your return, Jesus, to set all things right, that we would be both a happy people and a yearning people. God, would you do that great work? Spirit of God, without you, it will not happen. It surely won't happen. And so we, we ask you uh, to move in this place, in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives, to change us from the inside out, that, that we might leave lit up just like this stage, Lord, as we exit this place, and that others might know of your goodness, glory, and grace uh, as you use us to point more people to the glory of Christ. Would you do these things as we sit with your word in front of us this morning? In the name of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So longing. It's not a word that people tend to, to readily run to this time of year, right? As it assumes that, that things aren't as they should be. Christmas is supposed to be a merry time of year, or so they say. Not a time for lamenting. And surely, merriment has its place. We're going to see that over the course of the next few weeks as we come together and celebrate the true meaning of Christmas. But longing has its place too. And for some of you, you, you know that. You've experienced loss. You've experienced grief. And, and it's stirred up within you this time of year in a unique way. We don't just look to the past this time of year, but we look to the future. Yes, we, we celebrate the inauguration of God's kingdom in the first coming of Jesus, that baby wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger, but we also look forward to the day when heaven's king will return to fully and finally fulfill our every longing. For the next several weeks, we're, we're not only gonna unwrap the, the gifts of Christmas past, you might say, in celebration of the first coming of Christ, yes and amen to that, but we're also gonna consider the gifts of Christmas future in anticipation of Jesus' second coming. Advent is meant to focus our attention on what it means to live in the time of the in-between, you might say. The time in between Jesus' birth, in the trappings of a smelly stable, and his glorious return to set all things right. It's a season to celebrate, yes and amen, but it's also a season to yearn. It's a season to lament the brokenness within us, the brokenness around us. A season to reflect on God's promises to be fulfilled when Christ comes back. With that, these next four weeks are going to be, bring us face-to-face -face with a number of, of longings that fill the hearts of those made in the image of God. The longing for justice, the hunger for relationships, the delight in beauty. The world in which we live, it's filled with echoes, you might say, reminders of the way God intended things to be. In hearing those echoes, we're reminded that, that what we really long for is God himself, something more than the reflection. There's a book entitled The Worship Source Book, which is a collection of calls to worship, prayers of confession, etc. And it says this regarding Advent. It says, The great proclamation, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, John 1.14. It assures us that God has entered into human history through the incarnation of the Son, the season of Advent, a season of waiting, is designed to cultivate our awareness of God's actions, past, present, and future. In Advent, we heighten our anticipation for the ultimate fulfillment of all Old Testament promises. When the wolf will lie down with the lamb, death will be swallowed up, and every tear will be wiped away. 
In this way, Advent highlights for us the larger story of God's redemptive plan. This morning, we devote our our attention to the idea of justice and our longing for justice in the world. God, God has put a longing for justice within us, that longing and echo of his voice. We long for justice because God is just. He's the only one who can fully and finally set things right. You see something of the justice of God in the book of Jeremiah, words proclaimed to Israel around the time of the Babylonian exile in the case of this morning's passage during the final decades uh, leading up to the end of uh, the kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah was, was called to be a prophet to warn Israel of the judgment to come as a consequence of her covenant breaking rebellion. And with that message of judgment, a message of hope for the future, both of which you see in this morning's passage. If you pick up in verse 1 of Jeremiah 23, we're told, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people, you have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. Right here, Jeremiah speaks a word of judgment over the political and religious leaders of his day, the prophets, priests, and kings. A pronouncement of woe, like Jesus would one day pronounce over the religious leaders of his day, the scribes and the Pharisees. We've seen that in the book of Luke. Jeremiah had warned on numerous occasions of the the lies and greed of Judah's prophets and priests. And with that, the many kings committed to their lives of self-indulgence and luxury their leadership to the destruction of God's people, particularly the most vulnerable members of society, more like wolves than shepherds in their neglecting of justice, having led the people of Israel into idolatry and with that soon into the Babylonian captivity of the exile, having scattered the sheep of God's pasture, as Jeremiah says, rather than leading them in paths of righteousness. Having been called to to feed the people knowledge and understanding, Jeremiah 3.15 Having been called to be concerned with matters of justice and righteousness, Jeremiah chapter 22, verse 3. The word for justice, it's the Hebrew word mishpat. It's a word that shows up in verse 5 of this morning's passage. It's a word that, that means to give people what they're due. Not only having to do with retribution, uh, but also restoration. Not only having to do with punishment, but also with protection and care. It's a word that's used throughout the Old Testament. Uh, Zechariah chapter 7 verses 9 and 10 says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor. Let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. In Zechariah's day, not long after the days of Jeremiah, the widow, the orphan, the sojourner and the poor had no social power. They're always one tragedy away from starvation. The Hebrew word mishpat, it has to do with with how these weaker members of society are treated. To ignore them is not simply to to lack mercy, yes and amen, but it's also to violate justice, mishpat. It's to go against the very heart of God. God takes up the cause of the poor, the oppressed, the broken, the marginalized. Something that the political and religious leaders of Jeremiah's day had failed to do. In addition to shepherding God's people right into the arms of idols. Something for which Jeremiah says, verse 2, they would give account before the Lord as God would attend to them for their evil deeds. And yet, 
right on the heels of that message of judgment is a message of hope. The promise of deliverance. Verse 3. Then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them. And I will bring them back to their fold. And they shall be fruitful and multiply. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them. And they shall fear no more nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. It broke the heart of the the prophet Jeremiah, the sins of idolatry and injustice in his day. And yet, God promised something hopeful, something better. A return from exile, a gathered people under faithful shepherds, a land of justice, a land of righteousness. That language of being fruitful and multiplying, that language hearkening back to the Garden of Eden. A new beginning, paradise regained. For those who who know the story of exiled Israel, you know that God's people did in fact return to the land after 70 years of living in a pagan wasteland, brought under the, the shepherding of men like Nehemiah and Ezra, men who cared for God's flock. And yet, the people were still left with longing. There was a temple built in the post-exilic community, but it was, it was nothing like the temple that Solomon had built. Israel was not self-governing. They were under the governance of the Persian Empire. The Ark of the Covenant hadn't been rebuilt. Many of the vessels of the temple were likely not there. People who lived in between the, the Old and New Testament eras still talked about being in exile. That was their perspective because the glories of the past were not being fulfilled post-exile. So that they they found themselves looking to and longing for something future, just like us. A future hope captured in the the messianic prophecy of verses 5 through 8. Look at verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch. And he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought up the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as the Lord who lives who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where he had driven them. Then they shall dwell in their own land. Behold, the days are coming. That's a phrase that that shows up 15 different times throughout the book of Jeremiah. Each and every time in declaration of a future hope. I mean, we could could surely spend the entirety of our time this morning camping out on the the messianic fulfillment of the shepherding imagery in verses 1 through 4 and, and never leave this place. The coming of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who would lay down his life for the sheep. And the truth of Christmas, and we all know this, is that Jesus was born to die. The tiny hands of that baby in a manger destined to receive the nails of crucifixion. The hope of ruined, sinful humanity. Reminding us that God's rescue mission is not based on intrinsic lovability. It's not based on moral fiber. It's not about impressing some divine elf on the shelf. It's about a cradle leading to a cross that lost sinners might be saved by grace. The crimson stained lambs, if we could use that imagery like you and me, might be made white as snow. Christ the good shepherd gathering a flock for himself. John 10, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. 
When he's brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. The messianic fulfillment of the shepherding imagery of Jeremiah 23. A shepherd who will never stop caring for his people. Verse 4. A shepherd in whom his people shall fear no more nor be dismayed. We could camp out on that shepherding imagery alone and walk away with hearts filled with joy at the first coming of Christ. The wonder of Christmas. But Jeremiah draws our attention to a different kind of imagery as we consider the the messianic fulfillment of this oracle of hope, the promise of a king. Verse five, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. A righteous branch, a shoot from the stump of Jesse, Isaiah chapter 11, verse one. In scripture, we see God's judgment upon his people uh, likened to the chopping down of a massive forest, bringing to bear this question of of whether there's any hope of restoration or not. Judah would essentially be relegated to a stump in the felled forest, a remnant. And yet, out of that lowly stump would come a king from the line of David's father, Jesse, one who would fight for the cause of truth and meekness and righteousness, Refusing to step on the weak in order to establish or exhibit his power. We've seen that throughout the book of Luke for months now. Refusing to take sides with the wicked in order to further his agenda. His delight in the fear of the Lord, not the fear of man. His decisions and judgments rooted in perfect righteousness. A defender of the widow and orphan in a day in which the political and religious leaders continue to neglect justice. One who would bring about so great a work of redemption, verse 7, that it would overshadow even the great liberation story of the Exodus. Yes, the the Lord would bring his people out of exile on the other side of Babylonian captivity, part of the fulfillment of these verses. But more than that, he would deliver his people from the domain of darkness, rescuing them into the kingdom of his beloved son, Colossians 1.13. Through the redeeming work of the son himself, heaven's king, Jesus Christ. The Lord, our righteousness, verse 6. Not only the good shepherd who would lay down his life for the sheep, bearing our sins in his body on the tree, yes and amen, but two, the righteous king who would live the perfect life that you and I could never live, that we might be counted righteous through faith in him. I would ask, as we open up this season of Advent and, and, and look at it for what it is, the very first question out of the gate, do you know this shepherd king? Are you one of his sheep to use that sheep shepherd imagery? Are you a citizen of his eternal kingdom to use that kingdom imagery? If you're not a Christian, before we go any further through the Advent season, know that God is pleased to pardon the iniquity of rebellious sinners, counting them righteous in his sight, but not on the basis of intrinsic lovability, not on the basis of human merit, not on the basis of moral fiber, but rather by grace alone, through faith alone, in the shepherd king, Jesus Christ alone. It's the hope of the gospel. I would invite you to repent of your sins and to trust in Jesus for salvation, to rest in his arms as shepherd, to fall at his feet as king. And if you are a Christian, again, Advent is meant to focus our attention on the the time in between, what it means to live in the time in between. 
The time in between Jesus' birth and the trappings of that smelly stable and his glorious return to set all things right. It's a season to celebrate for sure. And we will, as we look at the presence under the tree, uh, representing his first coming, the first coming of the Messiah. But it's also a season to yearn, to acknowledge that, that things are not as they should be. That we, like Jeremiah, live in a fallen, broken world. A world filled with injustice. A world to this day filled with corrupt political and religious leaders. Ecclesiastes 3.16. I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. Wickedness is pervasive in this fallen, broken world. We know this. Even in the place of justice, the courts of law, uh, the author of Ecclesiastes says, even in the place of righteousness, the houses of worship, the very places where people should feel the safest are not always safe. And the brokenness is not just around us, but within us. We don't always live in perfect covenant obedience, embracing the idols of our day, just like those in Jeremiah's day. And yet here's the good news of Advent if we look to the future, to the second Advent. Injustice will not win in the end. Corruption will not win in the end because there awaits us a second Advent, the glorious return of our shepherd king, Jesus, as shepherd to gather we who are of his flock into his arms, leading us into the green grass of eternity, amen, where we shall fear no more, this morning's passage declares, nor be dismayed as king to execute justice and righteousness in the land, doing away with corruption and injustice forever in the casting out of his enemies, ushering the, the true citizens of his kingdom, a global citizenship into the bliss of the new heaven and earth where righteousness and faithfulness and justice and peace shall reign forever. As we longingly wait for that day, and I pray that we do. I pray that we leave this place this morning and throughout the course of this Advent season as we gather in spaces like these, I pray that we walk away and at a heart level that our hearts declare, amen, come Lord Jesus, even if I don't get to see Christmas Eve and Christmas Day in this broken world. That that's the kind of longing that we would have this Advent season. And as we longingly wait for that day, we, we get the privilege of participating in making the descriptors of Jesus' kingdom visible right now. As we fight for truth and justice, as we care for the weak and the oppressed, as we repent of our idols, siding not with the corrupt, as we surrender our rights, laying aside the, the efforts to build our own kingdoms, all for the glory of, of our great shepherd king, and in doing so that we would get the joy in all of it, 